I don't, I'm going to tell you this. I, uh, I have absolutely no reason to be nervous today. But I still kind of have this, like, nerviness in me. And it's, I don't think it's connected to the message. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel today. We're talking through our values. We're talking through who we are as a church. We're actually stepping into a series called This is Anthem. Uh, we did this last year and, and really felt like it was an important thing for us to understand a bit of the history of who we are and why we are here. Uh, but I think, I think today's message is just, it's feeling very weighty and important to me. And so I'm I'm looking forward to digging into it, but also feel this sense of anticipation. Maybe that's what's going on in me. It's just a sense of anticipation uh, for what God's doing. Uh, normally, Kristen would be up here uh, telling a bit of the story of Anthem, and that's part of how we're going to start each of these weeks is to tell a little bit of our story and how these values emerged as uh, something that is critical to who we are as a church. Uh, when we talk about our values, uh, we don't talk about them as aspirational values, values that we have set and that we're trying to run towards, but rather uh, DNA elements that we are working to insert into the fabric of who we are as a church, and we've really built with them as the, uh, as the core elements, the, the grid through which we make decisions, the, the reason that we function and operate as a church. And so 12 years ago, we were getting ready to start Anthem Church, and in thinking through, okay, what are the things that are important to us, uh, we had to start with this idea of the gospel. We want to be a gospel-centered church. Now, you may have heard that phrase before and tried to even understand or comprehend what does it mean to be gospel-centered as a church, and that's essentially what this message is going to be about today. But 12 years ago, I want to tell you what led us to say, yes, this is something that we want to make sure that we declare every place, all the time, in everything that we do, and we want it to stand as a, as a centerpiece to how we make decisions. We dreamt about being a church that at all times and in all places was focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That everything that comes out of our mouths, that the, the reputation that we carry in the community, that the, the mission and ministry that we do, the church planting that we do, the, the heart for the lost that we live out, what, whatever it is, that it would be done in the name of Jesus, that ultimately our goal was that we would decrease and that he would increase that Jesus would be what is known uh, through Anthem's existence as a church. Now, church can try to be, and be about a lot of different things, but we wanted to make sure that, that the thing that we were about and the thing that we were known for was that we seek Jesus together. And that ultimately is the gospel. Again, that's going to be, I'm, I'm like ready to preach this message already. Sorry, I, I should just probably dive right into it, but I'm going to keep talking. This idea of being about Jesus needs to be the thing that we are uh, focused on. And this, the importance of that for us is to actually walk through this together and say, how do we find Jesus in every situation? We're not always going to have the right answers. We're not always going to approach things the right way, but we want to walk through this story of being a church together, seeking Jesus together. And when we look back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as a church, if we can look back and say, we sought Jesus in that generation, and in that generation, and in that generation, then we will stand confidently and say, okay, we did what the church was built to do, and that is to seek Jesus together. And so some of the things that we talk through is, okay, what does it look like for us to build our church 
on the person and work of Jesus. And I know that might sound like strange language, but ultimately, when you're starting a church, you're kind of thinking like, how do we function? How do we operate? What are the things that we do? And there are some core things that we've decided to do to express this value of the gospel of Jesus. And the first is that we decided to preach through the scriptures. That for the last 11 and a half years, we have sought to open up the, the book and to preach it, to preach through Exodus and see Jesus there and Ruth and Daniel and Luke and Matthew. And we're about to go through John and First Peter and Ephesians and Colossians. I'm not going to list them all. But we've gone through book after book of the Bible trying to understand who Jesus is and really looking at that moment the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking with two disciples and he shows them how the entirety of the scriptures point to him. We want that to be the case that every scripture that we look at, we see how it points back to the person and work of Jesus. We want it to be a church full of individuals that are applying the gospel to every area of our lives. Nothing is off limits. That when we look at our life, Jesus is not a, a category. We're not fans of Jesus. He's not this thing that we just kind of like on the side, but that he becomes the center of our lives and the reason or the grid for why we would do the things that we do. We wanted to establish a high repentance culture. Uh, honestly, I, I came into church planting with this picture in my mind of repentance being the word that angry people have written on their sign, and it's always scrawled on those signs with, like, anger attached to it, and it's usually yelling at people to repent. But the posture of Jesus with repentance is invitational. It's not angry. It's a call to repentance because repentance is at the core of what every single one of us needs. If we're going to walk by faith, we need to establish a culture of repentance that it's a good thing. You are a sinner and you will continue to sin. And the response, the proper response to sin in our lives is humble repentance to seek Jesus he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we wanted a high repentance culture. We wanted to establish a high worship culture. We love to worship. The idea of exalting the name of Jesus is important. You might notice a couple of things. We sing music before we come up here to preach the scriptures. We sing music after we have preached the scriptures as a response because the idea of worshiping, even through song, is about declaring the good news of Jesus to him and to each other. And we proclaim with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we establish a high worship culture. Uh, we take communion every single week. Now, I don't know if this is new to you and your own personal uh, experience of being a part of a church, but it's something that was very important to us because Jesus gave us the communion elements to remember him and his finished work. And so we do the thing that he gave to us every single week as a church to make sure that we are personally and corporately built on what Jesus accomplished for us. We seek to live out community and discipleship that's built on the gospel uh, our good friend Brad Sarian, who's actually going to be here in just a, a couple of weeks to preach, uh, has often shared this idea that uh, the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. And we're not just in this, or actually Jeff Vanderstel says that also, that we're not just in this to give each other uh, really good ideas or really good advice about how to live life better or do money better or raise our kids better or, uh, or be kinder to our neighbors, but that the good news at its core is Jesus himself, and we want to build our community 
and our discipleship on that reality. And lastly, that we would define success as a church as humility and obedience. That all, all we can really do as a church is seek Jesus. Like Garrison was talking about last week, I loved that message last week to think about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as the picture of our lives that success is not making it to the promised land, but success is going when the presence of God goes, stopping when the presence of God stops, watching and waiting and listening and following the journey itself of being with God in his presence that is our definition of success, not how much or how far or how often or any of the things that we might want to claim. It is Jesus himself that is success. So I wanted to share these things with you because I want you to know the why. Like, why would this be important to us? Those are the reasons why being a gospel-centered church are important to us and things that we have built around. And so now what we're going to do is I want to actually walk through what that gospel is and how we as people can be living lives built on the gospel every day. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Galatians, and we're going to start using the book of Galatians. All right, I have some good news. <laughs> I uh, put together a, let me actually read the details here. I put together a for further study on today's message. Whenever you preach on the gospel, there's probably about 17,000 places that you could go with the message. And uh, instead of going all 17,000 directions, I tried to put some things on a piece of paper or a, uh, a PDF, and it's available on our app. So Celeste said, don't know if you can see this, but it's up on the app and web Sundays, button called teaching handout, teaching handout on the weekly as well under Sunday gatherings. So there you go. If you want to go get that, that is on the app. Um, I wanted to encourage you to take some initiative to dig into some scriptures, even beyond the ones that we talk about today, to really try and understand the gospel as we're talking about it this morning. So let's pray, and we'll dig into uh, the scriptures this morning. Jesus, we come before you and ask for your grace and your mercy. Uh, even for me, Lord, I, I want today to correctly handle the word of truth. I pray that you would um, that you would be empowering me and speaking to me, Jesus, and give me the opportunity to um, to teach and proclaim your good news. For anybody out here, Lord, that is searching and seeking and trying to understand who you are, I pray that today would just be like, like cold water on a hot day, just something so refreshing to their soul, to their heart. And Lord, for those that have been walking with you for ages, that have seen your goodness, they've been diligent and faithful worshipers, they have walked in mission and purpose with you, Lord, would today be just the sweetness of the goodness of God to my brothers and sisters in you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So as we dig into this idea of the gospel, I want to start with a, uh, a key scripture that's really helpful for us to understand why we talk about Jesus so much when we talk about the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. 
So Paul's writing to the Galatians. Uh, Galatia is in modern-day Turkey, uh, very similar to 1 Peter, the same direction, same probably even one of the churches that might have received Peter's letter. And Paul's writing this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, so that is a bold start to a letter. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's been preaching the gospel to them, and he's given them just this picture of what it means to follow Jesus, and they have started to turn their attention away from that gospel as somebody else came and taught a different story. But I want you to pick up on something that Paul says that gives us an indication of why this gospel is so important. In that first verse, verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. You see that? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. When Paul writes and he's talking about the gospel, he is talking about Jesus himself. As a church, we understand the gospel to be the good news of God taking on flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us or made his home among us. That idea of the gospel is that God himself came incarnate into this world to live the life that you and I could never live and die the death that each one of us deserved. His substitutionary death that we deserved and the resurrection that now gives us true life through his spirit, that is at the core of the gospel. That is the work of Jesus Christ, that he came and died and that he rose again. So a couple of things that are really valuable with that. One of the reasons that we celebrate baptism. Uh, for those of you that have not yet been baptized, here's why you would be baptized if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a symbol representing the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we start out of the water, and then we go into the water in that we are buried with him in his death. And then we come up out of the water representing his resurrection, and we are raised again to walk in the newness of life is what Romans 6 says. So our baptism represents the journey that Jesus went through from uh, life to death to true life. And he came and rose again is the story of our baptism. And so that becomes this critical picture that we are living in a resurrected life. The Bible calls this eternal life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have eternal life right now. This is why uh, when we die as followers of Jesus, there's mourning in the sense that we are saddened, that we don't get to be with our friend or our family or our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a sense of celebration because eternal life is a reality. It's not just a dream or a wish or a want. It is absolute reality. So Paul can say with full confidence that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I get to go and be with the Lord for all eternity. And if I'm here, it's because I'm here on mission. He has purpose and function for me to carry out in this life. 
So as we walk through the entirety of the Bible, we see it all pointing to this reality of Jesus. Jesus, 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 over and over and over. So the good news, the gospel. Now, word gospel comes from a Greek word, euangelizo, that literally just means good news. You're telling somebody the good news of Jesus. Now, here's why understanding the good news as Jesus is so important. Because it's not just information. The gospel is not simply a what, it is a who. When we look at him, we're not talking about the information that Jesus died. So a lot of us have grown up in a context where to believe is to have the proper set of facts or the right systematic theology or the things lined up in the right order. And if we know them, Maybe we know a creed, or maybe we know a statement or a phrase, and that defines our faith. But the reality of what Paul's getting at is that to know the gospel is to have Jesus. Not to simply know about him, but to have him. If you have your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he says this. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, listen to this. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son or daughter, then an heir through God. Okay, so let's talk about that for just a minute. Paul's understanding is that when you gave your life to Jesus, God gave you not only salvation or the idea of eternal life, but he actually gave you his presence, his spirit, his person is with you and in you. So Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he closes with, and lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Now, we've talked about this as a church before. That's not Jesus saying, all right, guys, I got your back. That was a really awkward uh, motion for Jesus to say, I got your back. All right, high five. G Jesus saying, I got your back. I'm with you. I know you. I'm for you. It actually goes way beyond that into what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, you guys are adopted. That idea of being adopted as sons and daughters, that was something that happened in the gospel that, that God won for you through Jesus, this familial aspect but it's not simply a declaration. When you were made sons and daughters and brought into the family, he sent his spirit into our hearts. And so now the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you carry the presence of God at all times and in all places. Everywhere you go, Jesus is literally and actually with you. His spirit fills your body. Your person contains 
the presence of God. Now, as you go through this, sometimes it feels like maybe a little bit intangible, like an idea, like, oh, I'm a Christian and I I have the presence of God, but the, the reality, the importance of this is so critical that you get because you don't just know about Jesus, you have Jesus. He's not just with you as in he is near you. He's with you in that he fills your very life with his very being. You are carriers of the presence of God. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to play this out. Let's actually walk through a scripture to help understand just a little bit of the importance of being carriers of the presence of God. This is going to help us understand what it means to be people of the gospel or gospel-centered people. So take your Bibles and head over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I think, if I have to declare, we'll spend the most of the rest of our time in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. We'll kind of go through this just a little bit slowly to try and understand what it means that we have the presence of God. Okay, so Paul's writing. Let's read the whole thing, and then we'll go back through it. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Just so I can know, how many of you guys are familiar with this passage? You've seen it, read it, studied it, been through it a little bit. Okay. This is really a an absolutely core and critical passage to understanding the gospel. So let's start with this first thing. We have treasure in jars of clay. So help me understand, from what you know, what is the treasure that Paul's talking about? All right, I heard a lot of mumbling, but that's because I'm deaf. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of you were saying Jesus. So yes, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So what's the jar of clay? The earthen vessel. Us, our physical bodies. All right, so Paul has a pretty uh, 
you know, low view of your body. He calls you an earthen vessel. So you're not, you're not China. You're not, uh, you know, not this beautiful vase. You're not those kinds of things. He, he calls us jars of clay. You guys are, are the gritty ones. You're the ones that are used for uh, carrying water. You're the ones that are, are used for day-to-day life. This is Paul's picture of the human body. And what he's doing is he's trying to contrast this picture of God's presence, Jesus being called a treasure, and you being called a jar of clay. Maybe the simplest thing on earth that could contain another thing, that's you and me. So he's trying to communicate something to you. You are a carrier of the presence of God. You are this jar, this vessel that contains the presence of God. Everywhere you go, God is with you and in you. The good news of Jesus is that you now carry the presence of God in you and with you. You have this treasure that goes everywhere you go. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the thing about our bodies is that they break. The thing about our humanity is that it is weak and failing. It's frail. Our human frailty is part of what displays the glory of God. And this is what it means to be gospel-centered people or Jesus-centered people is that we understand the brokenness of our bodies and the glory of the treasure that we possess. And Paul goes on to talk about circumstances. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our own bodies. What Paul wants you to understand is that no matter how rotten things get, no matter how broken or difficult, under no circumstances has the world overcome you because you have the presence of the Most High God in you and with you and flowing through you and working for you on your behalf. All the time, all the place. So what that means is that whatever your human frailty is, now the one thing that I'll exempt from the statement I'm about to make is when we willfully sin. That is a human frailty that's dealt with differently than what we're talking about. Well, let's talk about some human frailties. Sickness. When your body starts to get sick, Paul's view is that that is a picture and an opportunity to show that the surpassing power comes from God. As your body breaks down, the opportunity for the glory of God, the treasure that you possess to be on display is even greater. Okay, what about injury? Same kind of thing. When maybe you're a healthy person that has an injured body, something has broken or twisted or torn or something along those lines, and when that happens, you become weaker. Your physical body is showing its frailty. And Paul's view is that that is an opportunity for the power of God to be seen more clearly. 
Okay, let's talk about some other things. What about poverty? What about poverty? Maybe we don't have all of the things, but when we don't have, it is an opportunity for the power of God to be seen more clearly. How many of you have traveled to a, a foreign, maybe a third world nation and been and experienced a true different economic situation than what we have in the United States? Raise your hand if you've been in that situation before. And uh, maybe raise your hand if you've been with followers of Jesus in that kind of context. Have you been with followers of Jesus in that kind of context? All right. Typically speaking, now I realize there are always going to be exemptions. Are they sadder and mopier than we are here in the United States, or are they typically happier and more full of joy than we are in this? Just, just generally speaking, typical. What would you say? Okay. And on a scale of like 1 to 10 joy factor, would you say that it's up in like the 7 to 10 range? Does that generally feel true? Okay. Why is that? To show that the surpassing power comes from God and not from us? Could that be? That as poverty increases, the joy of the Lord flowing through a person increases also. As difficulty increases, the power of God at work in us increases as well. And so for us as followers of Jesus, carriers of the presence of God, we approach things differently. That's why Paul says this. We are struck down. We are afflicted. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. But none of those things overcome the presence of God in us. That's what it means to be carriers of the presence of God. Jesus said, you will face tribulation. Is there an amen to that one? You will face tribulation. You will face hardship and difficulty, but you carry the presence of God. So what does it mean that you carry the presence of God and you're going to face difficult times? How does a person who carries the presence of God experience joy when the world around you is exceedingly difficult? We start to understand that the treasure that is in us, it's not information. It's not a future hope, though there is information and there is future hope. But it's the fact that the very fullness of the presence of God resides in you today. And in that, you can rejoice. You can give thanks you can be at peace. You can find yourself in the fullness of joy in any given moment. And so with that, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not ever crushed because we have the presence of God. We are struck down, but we are not ever destroyed because we have the presence of God. We are persecuted, but we are not ever forsaken because we have the presence of God. And we are struck down. Sorry, I already said that one. We are perplexed, but not ever driven to despair because we have the presence of God. So we carry in us the body, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal bodies. And Paul says that twice. So here's my encouragement to you guys this morning. As gospel people, 
One of the key things for us to understand is that we carry the presence of God. But part of our job is to take that and have that be not just information, but reality. That I I wake up each day and I recognize the jar of clay, the human frailty that I am, and I celebrate the power of God that is in me, that I possess, that I, I carry. When we go to people, This is why this is so important with the things that Rob is going to be sharing with us. He's not trying to teach us the information of the gospel so that we can go and tell somebody the information of the gospel. So often that's what we think evangelism is because we have this picture in our minds that if people just had information, then it would change everything. But the reality is we're not just carriers of information. We are carriers of the presence of God. So when we go to people, We are carrying the presence of God into their lives. We are blessing them with the very fullness of the power of God flowing through us and ministering to them. Maybe maybe this is why I got nervous, and I'll, I'll just... It feels at the moment like there are many people in the body of Christ right now that are feeling that because of a mask and distance, the presence of God can't move. And if we we put a mask on, it's actually blocking our ability to minister to people effectively. Over the last 10 months, I haven't once commented on the science of masks, the effectiveness of masks, the importance of masks, why everybody should be wearing them, because at some point that becomes pretty irrelevant when it comes to how we understand our place in society. As believers, just to throw this out there, and again, I'm not arguing on the merits. That's a whole separate conversation, but let's talk about this for just a moment. If you wear one of these, if nothing else, if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, you can wear it as a symbol of human frailty. Now, maybe that's a physical frailty related to COVID. Maybe it's a sociopolitical frailty related to a, a broken world that can't figure out what in the world to do with a pandemic. Maybe it's an economic frailty that expresses the difficulty of how thin our systems are and how quickly they collapse. I don't know, but regardless of that, we have an opportunity as people to view them differently. Maybe this does demonstrate my weakness. Maybe it does demonstrate my frailty. But does it limit the power of God to be seen through me? This is one example, by the way. As followers of Jesus, one of our declarations is that every circumstance that I face, every situation that I'm in, what I bring to the table in that situation is the presence of God that I carry. 
my job in every situation is to bring the presence of God into that context and into that environment. When I go to work, when I'm with my family, when I'm in my downtime, when I'm with friends, when I'm on a jog, when I'm on the mission field out in a foreign context, or when I'm on the mission field at home, I am a carrier of the presence of God. My eyes are open for opportunities to minister and to bless and to express the power of God. I brought this up because I see time and time again people getting frustrated with them. And I still, I don't know a single person that likes it. But what we can say as followers of Jesus is that regardless of whether this is on me or not, I carry the power of God, and it can bless and minister and love even through this. The treasure is there. And it shows the surpassing greatness of God when I walk in my frailty. When I live in my humanity and my brokenness, God is seen more clearly. I think I wanted to, to share that with you guys. Can I be maybe honest with you for just some of the internal struggles? My, my heart is breaking over the shredded family of God. The disagreement, the cutting down, the mocking, it's killing me. I don't honestly know what to tell you about COVID. I know people are getting it. I know their lives are devastated by it. I don't know much to say beyond that, but I do know that as followers of Jesus, we've been given this sense of power. That no matter how weak our lives are, they are only more powerful when we look to the presence of God to fill us and flow through us. And so if there is frailty that we can live into, a brokenness that we can walk in, it demonstrates the power of God. And I'll even say this, the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. I think my hope for us as gospel people is that we would walk in humility every day saying, I am a jar of clay. I am a frail human earthen vessel. And there is an immense power that exists in me. And that power is there to bless and minister to every single person that I come into contact with. And if we can walk in that, 
If we can live in that kind of day-to-day life, then what happens is that power flows through us. And that's when verse 14 and 15 happens. It says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise with us, or will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Right now, if you are lonely and you're a follower of Jesus, part of your role is to dig into the presence of God even in the midst of your loneliness and learn how to rejoice in his presence. If you are in pain, physical pain, your body is wasting away right now. Part of your role is to dig into that pain and to find in you the presence of God and to rejoice that even as you are suffering, the power of God is being seen more clearly when you walk in his presence. If you are in poverty right now, there are extreme limitations on you financially. You can, in that brokenness, see the presence of God in you, and you can rejoice because none of those circumstances have overcome you. Jesus has overcome the world. And even in the midst of them, you are not destroyed because Jesus is at work. And verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What that means is that right now, every single one of us can walk through life, whatever challenges we face, whatever difficulties, and we can see that they are temporary, short-lived, compared to the eternal weight of glory that we are stepping into. And in that, it allows us to set ourselves on mission, on purpose, into a broken and hurting world that is working hard to figure out where to find hope and meaning and significance, and we get to bring into that hurting world the very presence of God. This has been a weird one, hasn't it? Um, Kristen, can you hear me? I don't think she can hear me. She's out there. Hey, Ryan, would you come up here? No, it's okay. Ryan, come up here for a sec. Can you just take a moment and kind of pray uh, over the church? Yeah, go there. Generate. 
remember where the camera's pointed. Lord, as we, as we begin this year, there's so many of us who are ready to leave behind everything that was 2020 and looking forward to everything that is promised for 2021. But learn, we, God, we learned so much about ourselves. We learned so much about you in this last year. And Lord, I think it, it is so good for us to start this year, the first Sunday of 2021, focusing on you as being preeminent. You are the treasure that we hold within us. You are, um, you are the most important thing about who we are, Lord. God, your promise is that your power is in us. And so, Lord, even just for the rest of these next six or seven weeks of this series, Lord, I ask that uh, our foundation of the gospel, our roots in who Jesus is, uh, that they would be firm and strong, that we would come out of this more aware of who we are in Christ, more aware of what you've called us to. Lord, I ask that you would give us a good gospel lens as we look at the world around us, that you would show us opportunities to, uh, to show your power and your presence to our neighbors, to coworkers, to the people who walk up and down Moore Park Road every day, the people on the tennis court, people uh, even just hanging around the tent, Lord. Lord, your, your news is good because your news is that you uh, you came and you died. You rose again. And Lord, we're so grateful for you and the gospel. Um, Lord, obviously, uh, you're doing a work in Matt this morning, Lord. And so, God, even in these next few minutes of this, of this gathering, Lord, I ask that you would uh, just really give him uh, a settled feeling. Help him to know that he said everything that you want him to say this morning. And God, as we, as we respond to your word today with worship, God, I ask that our, our lips would be full of praise, that we would be honoring and worshiping you, the God who is worthy of every bit of praise that we could ever give. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. In your name we pray, amen. Shannon, would you guys come on? Ryan? You guys have probably noticed that I haven't done a lot of uh, commenting on the state of the world and where, where things are at. Um, and I think when it uh, starts to come out of me, there's just that inner sense of fear that everybody has a different opinion, everybody has a different thought about how these things are, are and where they are and what should be happening. Everything in me wants to clarify and justify and defend and whatever, but I think I want to walk away from uh, an opinion about what these things mean and walk towards a sense of purpose about what it is that we carry. And I, I do hope, I 
I think that maybe that's a little bit my fear is that because I mentioned a mask that that's going to take the uh, whole point of the message. Garrett thinks so. Yeah, okay. It's a, it's a very hard world to walk in. It's a very hard world to make decisions in. It's a very hard world to live a day-to-day life in. And what I'll say is, if we are not walking by the presence of God in us, when we seek his presence and seek first his kingdom, and we walk in that, I think we will find a great opportunity to demonstrate the power of God every day of our lives. When we do take time to bite and devour each other, it does uh, slow down our opportunity to encourage and bless and minister. But when we see Jesus and we run forward, it's going to open doors for the power of God, the surpassing power to come from God and not from us. That's ultimately what I wanted to encourage you with, and I hope that I wasn't a distraction today. So here's where we should go with this. We should go, uh, we'll call it Big Jesus, which would be worshiping Jesus together, which would be taking communion together. I'll come back up and do that in just a few minutes. Uh, We continue to give and give generously. We have a bucket available, but a lot of our, our giving is online. That's a part of our response all the time. But I want to encourage us to stand and sing these songs together and declare Jesus and his finished work. And then we'll come together and we'll take communion to wrap it up. Let's worship.